We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Six Man Show, an Orlando Magic podcast with your hosts, Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic basketball. By fans, for fans. Go Magic. What's going on, Orlando Magic fans? You guys are back with the Six Man Show. Today is June 2nd, 2022. Jonathan Osborne here. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Luke Sylvia. Luke, what's going on, bro? Good. As you guys are listening to this, we're uh, gearing up for game one of the NBA Finals that's happening tonight. Um, I don't even know what time tip-off is, but I know it's tonight. Uh, ABC Warriors favored by three and a half. It should be uh, should be interesting. I, who do you, who do you have coming out of that? I got the Warriors. Warriors and how, and how many and six? I'm gonna say Warriors and five. I could see that. I think that they're they're just. I just. I mean, you know. I, I think that it's. Uh, I think they're too good. I know what the Celtics have done, but I just feel like it's it's end of the road for them. I think, and um, we'll see. But I think the Warriors get it going. They they got a lot of players that can put up numbers. Yeah, they've got all the experience on their side, the championship pedigree. Every young team like kind of goes through this. Like when you finally break through and make it to the finals, like you, you very rarely like the young guys make it to the finals and win the first time like when was the last time that that Mm -hmm. happened like i mean it was the warriors you know in in 2015 and that that doesn't happen without incredible injury luck you know Kyrie with the knee kevin love with the shoulder earlier funny enough in the playoffs against the celtics it very rarely happens and now we know that the warriors are you know they're a dynasty we're going to look back 30 years from now and the warriors are very much a dynasty so you know I, I think if the Celtics, you know, team, they keep that core together, you know, they could make it back to the finals again, but it's very rare that the young team makes mm-hmm. it the first time and wins the series. Yeah, I just, I, I love the narrative that it's it's Kyrie's old team and KD's old team going against each other and Kyrie and KD out in the first round. It's just, it's beautiful. It really is. Poetic. Yeah, that is pretty great. Well, I have to shout out, today is June 2nd, so today is my mom's 60th birthday. Happy birthday, mom. I love you. Um, she actually just had a bad fall the other day and might have torn her rotator cuff, Whoa. so hope you've uh, got your feet up and uh, relaxing today. Yeah, so mom, hope you feel better, but I hope you have a happy birthday. This is a very special episode. Uh, this is the third year now 
that we've had Eric Fawcett covers the NBA draft for NBA Canada, NBA Japan, NBA India, I think NBA Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. A bunch of different He's outlets uh, for the Feels NBA. Like. Probably. Eric just Eric does the draft for the NBA. Like he he's up there. He calls out the picks. He knows all the <laughs> prospects. Like Eric Fawcett does the NBA draft. That's mm. that's all we have to to say about that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, really excited for that episode uh, or that interview rather that we've got coming up in just a few minutes. We did want to remind you guys coming up on the twenty third. Uh, we're just three weeks away now from the NBA draft. Really exciting. Uh, but we're going to be at Harry Buffalo again uh, from five o'clock to six thirty. Just really low key just hanging out having you know a few cold ones maybe here or there having some food before we head over to Amway and then just like last year uh we'll all sit in section 106 uh at the Amway Center just everybody just hang out together and you know enjoy the draft it's going to be a lot of fun really looking forward to that make sure you get your draft tickets on the Orlando Magic app they are free you don't have to pay for them but you do have to go in and basically check out you know for the tickets um you know for whatever reason i don't know if they're going to put a cap on mm-hmm. it or, or anything like that to if get that work. qr code yeah exactly so make sure that you guys go over to the app register get your tickets and meet us over at harry buffalo again june 23rd we're going to be there from five o'clock to six thirty, and then we'll all walk over to amway and we're going to sit in section 106 Next, before we go ahead and get into the interview, Luke, I want to go through, shout out our patrons. The patrons, Luke, have been like flooding in recently. We've gotten so much support from everyone. Um, it's really great. We've got a couple new patrons on this episode. Joe Thomas, shout out Joe Thomas, one of my good friends. Really appreciate the support. And then Stephen Walker, longtime listener and supporter of the podcast, uh, interacts with us a bunch on Twitter. So really appreciate Stephen uh, and Joe. Thank you guys uh, for your support. Uh, all of our new patrons, each episode, we always shout them out like that. Uh, so if you want a special shout out just like that, you can find us at patreon.com slash the six man show, uh, where you can subscribe to one of three tiers and help financially support the show. Helps us do a lot of cool things. We're getting ready to send um, some stickers out to all of our patrons. Uh, if you're at the uh, draft lottery watch party, we gave a lot of those out. Uh, people really like them, so we are sending one of those out to each of our patrons. So if the you like one of those, ones yeah, reflective, fun. holographic. They're really like thick, high quality stickers. They're really nice. Uh, for those of you on YouTube, I've got one right here on my laptop. I'll throw that up really quickly. Shameless plug. Uh, but yeah, uh, those are going to run out pretty fast, those stickers. So if you guys want one of those, make sure you sign up for the Patreon pretty quickly. And then we shout out every single patron on each one of our episodes. We're going to do that right now. We will start with Court Cousins. Shout out our friends at Court Cousins uh, Podcast. Court Cousins, Drew Gooden, Armin, Keith Garcia, Zico, Carson Tulo, Nathan Lynn, Ellis, Jonathan Borges, Norm L., Julio, Bailey, Matt Lyman, Eric Segovia, Gabe Gaines, Wiffle, Michael Martin, Jamel Miller, Michael Salapong, Franz Godefichot, Blake Bickerstaff, The Distract, your boy Dave J, Eric Randall, Pierre A, Wally Akbar, Eli, Migzors, Nostalgie, and M&Ms, Dylan Holden, Mr. Mikey, Joe Thomas, and Stephen Walker. Thank you guys all so much. And without further ado, we are going to get into the interview with Eric Fawcett. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, back for the third time, the third draft season. Uh, I think we can say friend of the podcast at this point, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Fawcett. Uh, we we were talking a little bit before you joined, Eric. We know that you cover, you know, the the draft for I think it's NBA Canada, Japan, India, Australia. Did I add an extra one there, or did we miss one? No, no, those, How those are, you, are there. Yeah, it's 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 good, man. I mean, it's uh, it's still obviously like funny to hear you say that. It's still the coolest thing in the world to see my stuff translated into Japanese. So, just a pretty pretty lucky guy here, and it's nice to be a third time guest on the podcast. How many how many guys have you had on three times? Am I one of only a few? <laughs> Definitely a handful. Most people like after the they do, they oh. give us a, you know a favor the first time, they do the second one like all right. <laughs> And then they're like, no, I, I, I've done my my time with those those gentlemen, and, and they don't come back. But uh, we appreciate you taking the time. We're super excited to have this conversation. This year, we've got the number one pick. We were talking uh, before we started recording that it's it's not quite as exciting in terms of going through and researching and watching all this film on different prospects because in this draft, especially you're you know at least what we've been told so far is that it's kind of a three man race. So beyond that, you know, we're not going into too much detail, but uh, we wanted to bring you on, get your expertise on these, uh, you know, three prospects at the top. Maybe talk a little uh, early first round. We've got those two picks in the in the the second round there, or early second round, I should say. So, um, yeah, where do you want to start, Eric? I, I asked you guys this question last year, um, and that was obviously not the first overall pick. But I'm going to ask you the same question once again. See if you guys, if your opinion has changed for the Magic in the position they're in, would you rather see them take a huge cut at a possible home run or do you want them to hit a double into the gap? Like how do you view the draft process? Um, Yeah, I, I think where I'm at right now, I want, I want to take a big, big swing and I want it to go towards Chet Holmgren. I want, I want the home run I think right now. And uh, some days, Eric, I wake up and I'm like, let's just hit that 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 double right into right into the outfield. But today, I woke up, I think, feeling more so of like, let's just hit a dinger. I want I want Chet Holmgren. I am so scared the Magic are gonna miss out on a unicorn, and I 
I mean, I've said it before. I don't know if any of these guys are single-handedly changing your franchise, so I'd rather just take a big swing and, and see if the Magic can get a hit. Home run with it. Where are you at, Jonathan? Uh, I keep going back and forth. Um, I, I listened to the uh, the Locked On Magic podcast earlier today with our, our friend Philip Rossman Reich, and he had uh, the gentleman from Locked On Auburn you know, to talk about Jabari Smith Jr., and didn't really blow me away, I would say. For a guy who, you know, watched him all year up close, I was hoping that he was going to be like, you know, I saw some things that, you know, I watched every single game that this kid played. I saw some things that maybe other people didn't see or they're really like overblowing this aspect of his game, specifically talking about his handle. And he was like, no, like the handle was a real issue. Like he couldn't really create his own shot. I'm like, all right, this is the opposite of what I want to hear because I like the idea of Jabari Smith Jr. developing the handle and becoming this, you know, kind of like Paul George-esque player if he can develop the handle, obviously. Um, and uh, I came away a little bit more scared of Jabari than I was this morning when I woke up. Uh, <laughs> that being said, I was listening to uh, the Upside uh, podcast, or Upside High, with uh, Jonathan Charks and, and, uh, and Kyle Mann. And they were talking about Chet Holmgren, and they made a really fascinating point that you know these these players that you know change the league and become these like transcendental players. When they come into the league, you don't really have a direct comparison for them. Like like Luca, right? You can say he's got a little bit of this, a little bit of that guy, but Luca is very much his own player. Giannis is really the same way, right? Embiid is really the same way. Jokic is the same way. And when you talk about Chet. Nobody really knows exactly what he's going to be in the league, and that can scare some people off. But they were making the argument that, like, no, when guys come into the league and, and there's these transformative players, that's usually the case. You've never seen anything like them before, and that's kind of what makes them such great players. So today I'm like 50-50 between Jabari and Chet. You could talk me into Paolo, but I, I think I, I think I want to take the swing, but I'm just so terrified of messing up this pick. <laughs> I, I get that for sure. And uh, let's talk Chet to start because that was Luke's pick and that was 50% of your pick. Uh, I'll say this right off the bat. Chet is number three for me. Whoa. Uh, I don't know if that uh, varies. Um, I don't know if that varies a little bit. It sounds like it varies from, from your other guests. Yes. Um, there's definitely a lot of that intrigue for sure with that ability to, uh, to shoot the ball for that ability to handle the ball. Um, something that I kind of came on the podcast and talked about with a couple of guards last year on the podcast was that one of the biggest differences between college basketball and the NBA is how much transition play there is in college basketball and how, how little there is in the NBA. And that's one of those things when you're looking at, when you're looking at Chet Holmgren and what he did in college and what has people like, wow, like unicorn, look at these skills. It's him grabbing a defensive rebound and it's him running in a straight line for 90 feet and dunking the ball. And that's pretty impressive. Don't get me wrong. And I think that there's some skills you could take from that where you could imagine him catching the ball in the short roll, putting the ball behind his back and then, you know, dunking from outside the charge circle because he's so long. But I still think like, again, if you're looking for what is going to translate to the NBA and what makes him a unicorn about this kind of ball handling and, and, you know, shot creation mix it starts to look when you actually look at his game, it was a whole lot of him grabbing defensive rebounds, pushing the play and dunking the ball, which 
is is pretty cool and and has shows some skill in it, but is not very translatable to the NBA game. And when you actually look at his half court profile, what he did once the game slowed down, he was you know his play style looks a lot like a lot of centers in the NBA. It was a lot of post ups, it was a lot of mid post, and he was really good in those areas. Don't get me wrong. But it's it, it kind of starts to take off a little bit of the shine of, of this guy that's been branded as like, oh, could we see a little bit of this Kevin Durant playmaking, dribbling ability, shot creation? Again, it, it, maybe it's there and, and maybe you take some of it away from the fact that he was able to keep a pretty tight handle while, while on in a full sprint. But uh, man, it's uh, it's it's when you actually could start to like break down and just watch just the film of his half court possessions. I think it starts to look a uh, I think it starts to look a little less shiny. And something that that Luke has talked to me a couple of times just in text conversations is: Are you concerned with the fact that Chet Holmgren did not play his best basketball in some of the biggest games of Gonzaga's season? When it comes to like effort mindset, I, I love Chet's mindset. He is an absolute competitor. I thought it was incredible watching him in high school. Like he 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 played like both he knew that he was the best player on the floor and also like he felt he was the worst player on the floor. Like he had the like work ethic of the guy who like sucks and is on the end of the bench <laughs> and is like trying to earn minutes, but he had all the like flair and obvious skill and talent of of the best player. Like I don't think he's gonna shy away from big moments why I think he performed so poorly in some of these big games for Gonzaga is in these big games, like we'll call them playoff games, kind of like these NCAA tournament games, big time opponents, they slow down and they become half court games. And as soon as games became half court games, he wasn't as good. So that is something that concerns me a little bit about Chet Holmgren, just kind of at the, at the kind of my, my first reaction to some of the kind of common narratives about Chet. So I want to ask you, Eric, like as far as, Chet goes. You know, you hear people talk about his ability to shoot the basketball. Um, you obviously he can stretch the court, the floor in that in that respect. When you take into account transition, I think it's a great point, obviously, to make about the difference between the college game and the NBA game. When you take the transition away, does that change the the greatest strength of Chet Holmgren, or is his greatest strength the same? even when factoring in transition, like it's one of his strengths, like the top strengths, the transition game, or like when you like, if you were to take that out, like what is his greatest half court strength? Yeah. Like if we were to, if we were to say like, look at his like shot profile or just look at truly like, where did most of his shots come from? Like, by far and away, the most shots he took in college basketball were in transition. So you can just start with like, okay, the bulk of his production was in transition. And then when you look at like what he did, like excellent, better than anyone, um, it was transition. When you look into, uh, when you look into his half court game, he's a very average spot up player. Uh, he's like pretty good, like, okay. Catch and shoot numbers, like solid catch and shoot numbers, but like average numbers, his post up numbers are pretty good but not amazing his um, but then he did really well on offensive rebounds and he did really well finishing as a cutter. How does that translate to the NBA game? You know, you can argue that like, yes, he's very intelligent as a cutter. He'll have those opportunities for sure. Um, But you know, for someone who's, Again, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, this is a big time upside swing. This is someone we think like has the opportunity to maybe lead our offense. It's like, well, if you look at his half court game, his best traits as a half court player were, you know, finishing on cuts and getting offensive rebounds at finishing. That's not really, you know, that's not 
apex predator kind of stuff. So, and, and again, I don't want to say, Hey, what he did at Gonzaga is a one for one for what it's going to look at the NBA. Don't get me wrong. I know that Gonzaga plays a very college style of game. They don't, like they played two bigs. They always had someone in the paint. Um, and it was, it was always, it was, it was Chet Holmgren trying to get entry passes to Drew Timmy. Like their style of play is very different from the NBA. And I think a lot of people will look at that, especially in the magic front office and say like, Hey, they misuse Chet quite frankly, and we can use him better. But going off the sample size, I just think there's not as much there from like a primary initiator standpoint um, that I, that I feel is kind of being talked about. And I'm sure I'll get into that a little bit when we talk Jabari later as well. So it sounds like you don't you don't see Chet as with as high of a ceiling as a lot of other people seem to think. I can see the ceiling for sure because you can still see him making those shots. You still see some of like like again, as much as I say, okay, him getting a defensive rebound, putting the ball behind his back twice at a full sprint as he makes his way up the floor and then dunking over a five foot eleven point guard in college. Like as much as I can be like, okay, that's not gonna be there at the NBA, I still love to see some of those some of those skills. So I like again it's it you can still see like I don't have to squint to see him being like a big time initiator. I just think that the idea that he has like showcased that ability is just not really true. So I just feel like again we talked about you want to take a home run swing. It's like yeah, this is a home run swing, but this is not a home run swing from a guy hitting 290 with really good power numbers. This might be a guy hitting like 210. Um, and striking out a lot. So uh, that that's kind of, so I, I definitely still see the upside. Don't get me wrong. I just like the percentage, uh, the, the amount of outcomes where I could see that happening. I'd say I probably see it a little bit less than a lot of other people do. And then at that point, it's like, okay, if he doesn't quite hit his ceiling outcome, what is he as a player? And it's like, like I kind of mentioned to you, his shooting numbers are pretty good. They're not great. Um, I do think he's going to be an awesome defender. I really believe in him on that side of the ball for sure. Very instinctual defender, weak side shot blocker. Fantastic. Um, I think as an overall rim protector, some people have overrated it. I think his skinniness is going to be a problem. Like some of these guards, like man, even like Cole Anthony, you see Cole Anthony coming off a pick and roll, getting downhill. He puts his chest into these centers that are playing drop coverage. He knocks him into the first row and he gets a layup. Um, you kind of need some of that bulk and physicality to play drop defense in the NBA. And I think he will struggle there, but I think as a weak side shot blocker, he'll be incredible rotating over. So I still see the defensive upside. Absolutely. It's just uh, some of the, uh, uh, some of the offensive stuff. I just like, I see people talking about him. Like he's kind of the clear big upside swing offensive guy. And I'm just like, I, I don't know if that sample size is, is there to, to really say that for, for me personally. It's interesting to hear you say that. Cause it's not so much, you know, a, about the frame, like other people have said is, you know, kind of the concern and almost, you know, some people think it's a bit of a lazy take. And it's interesting that you mentioned drop coverage because you seem to think like that's going to be potentially a problem for him in the NBA. And a lot of people think that that might be a real strength of his. So I love the insight there. Um, so since you kind of started with three and we didn't expect that to be three, <laughs> who do you have number two? Uh, number two for me is Paolo. Um, someone who I think that I've kind of been growing on steadily um, a little bit more as 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 things go on and, and his ability to not only score, which I think a lot of people have kind of realized, but uh, I, what I think is really underrated is his passing ability. And if you're talking about a guy who can really lead an offense, uh, I think it's the guy who doesn't have to just be an isolation score or pick and roll ball handler. Uh, it's someone who you can throw it to in the high post and he can make a read or, you know, you play the pick and roll game with like, again, I'll say Cole 
Cole Anthony hits, you know, a Paolo on the short roll. Here's someone who might be one of the best passers in the entire draft. That's your decision maker. Like, I, I, I think that the, his ability to pass the ball is something that has really changed my perspective on him. Um, because before it was like, okay, we know he can score the ball and we can kind of talk about like, okay, are his like Carmelo Anthony in 2006 isolations in the high post? Like how much do we want to see that in the NBA? How much will that work? Like we can talk about that, but I think it's also like, okay, like the thing that makes him different from a player like, I'll say Carmelo Anthony is, is again, that I do think he's not just a, a willing passer, but a very intelligent passer. So he is the guy that I look at and it's like, I, I really think he is going to be a very effective offensive player and, and probably quickly because not just, not just the scoring, but, but that passing um, defense. Yeah. I, 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 I see some issues on the defensive end, which is definitely the concern for him. And it's like, okay, well, you again you talk if he doesn't hit a ceiling outcome it's like okay i think he's going to score the ball a lot i think he's going to get a lot of assists but like he's probably going to have to because he's probably going to hurt you a little bit on the defensive end so um that's some of the the concerns but also it's like man here is someone who is uh truly going to change the offense of of where he goes to i think do you think that you know as far as his defense does go eric so i i think like a lot of people say you know i know jonathan's mentioned this as well like he he seemingly has the tools to be a great defender like he's got the physique he you know it might just come down to to iq and and what what do you think are some other things that paulo needs to kind of pinpoint in order to be a at least someone you don't have to hide defensively yeah i mean speaking of all the tools like i don't know if his feet are like totally there to say that like oh here's someone who is is fleet of foot enough that he's got all the tools to be a great defender uh, I think he moves a bit better than some people think, but just kind of his build, it's it's a little top heavy. Um, his when he starts flipping his hips, it's uh, it slows him down a whole bunch. So maybe he lacks there, but it's it's going to be about a team that again is like okay. I talked drop coverage before. It's like okay, we're going to play aggressive drop coverage, and we're going to have our guards really pressure ball handlers, push them over the top of the screen, and get some pace going to those guys so that they have to fly into Paolo, and he can use some of that kind of stoutness and physicality, like might be someone you have to kind of build your defense, not build your defense around in the sense that he's your anchor and you build around him because he's like your cornerstone and awesome, but because it's like, okay, here's the weak point. How do we insulate him? And of course we see with some of these players, the magic have, you could completely surround him with very good defensive players that could help insulate him. So uh, it's like, if, if the scheme is going to be okay, we want him hedging aggressively or, Hey, we want him switching a whole bunch that could become problematic. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's going to be like, Hey, will will he continue to just, uh, compete on the defensive end? And, and it's also going to be a matter of, will he score the ball well enough that when he gets hurt sometimes in defense that you're still saying, okay, he's a positive on the floor. It's no problem. We'll, you know, give up that occasional bucket because he's not an elite shot blocker. Um, because we know he's going to make up for it on the other end. That'll be kind of the, the thing for him. It's like, can he score well enough to stay on the floor defensively? If that makes sense. I just want to uh, defend myself a little bit. I don't know that I said great defender. I, I thought that mm. you, you can turn him into a passable defender to, to the point where you don't have to hide him defensively, especially, you know, I really credit the the culture that Mosley has set up in Orlando and everybody really buying into that defensive identity. I mean, we've got guys like Cole Anthony, you know, shout out to Cole Anthony, out there trying their best and are limited <laughs> physically now you mentioned that Paolo is somewhat limited physically in terms like lateral quickness and you know flipping the hips. How much do you think of his defensive shortcomings at Duke were due to effort? So, oh man, uh, hey, hey, Jonathan, do you have a college team you cheer for? 
The Tar Heels. Okay, perfect. Okay, good. I was scared. Um, man, I do not have a ton of respect for the Coach K defensive system. Um, I do not think he puts uh, put his guys in the vet. I just had to be careful until I find out you're a Duke fan. So this is even better that you're a Tar Heel guy. So, <laughs> no, um, I don't know. Yeah, so they were like deny everything one pass away, really aggressive, no help in the gaps. And so there was just times where when he was in a position on the perimeter, it was like, okay, you're guarding a much smaller player because there's not many people of his size and even even in the ACC. And it's like, okay, you have to deny him 32 feet out. So he'd get back cut and people are like, wow, look at this lazy defender. And it's like, well, that's kind of the scheme and they're kind of like that that's what you're going to give up and then there was also times where other guys would get back cut and he was the closest guy on the weak side of the floor and people are like oh well he's got to be there to contest and block a shot and it's like well maybe if he was a incredible shot blocker but it's just kind of what Duke was willing to give up so I just kind of think that they're very hectic style that like worked in the early 2000s for Coach K I, I just don't think it has worked particularly well recently did not work very well with this group and you could so you could say like that's the other thing with the motor. I think it was a very high energy defensive system. That's going to be tough for guys that are a little bit heavier. And also like when he's being relied on so much offensively, uh, can he go and then be like, okay, and now the, you know, six foot seven, 220 pound guy that he's chasing around on the defensive end. It's uh, yeah. I, I just, I, I don't know if I really question his motor that much. I, I, I just kind of see the way that their defense broke down a lot. And, and I just feel like, okay, this is a bit of an antiquated defensive system that obviously did not suit Paolo. I, I don't know if I have too many concerns really about his kind of motor or desire to defend. Do you think Paolo can develop a respectable three point shot in the NBA? Obviously shoots, whatever it was, 32, 33% in college. Um, that's kind of the big question mark offensively for a lot of people. This is very much a, a perimeter-driven league. Do you think that that Paulo is able to develop that based on what you saw at Duke and, and his shot form, those sorts of things? Yeah, I, I like it. I think he's got good touch. I mean, his catch-and-shoot numbers are, are quite good um, in college and and did pretty well on his on his catch and shoot attempts. What what kind of hurt his his overall percentage was that he took too many off the dribble in in well, I don't want to say too many I guess because if you're kind of wanting to groom him into being like this guy who could be your your number one kind of offensive weapon you kind of got to let him take some of these shots that are uh that are tough ones so his his dribble his three-point numbers off the dribble were not excellent um they're a little bit below average but his um his numbers off the catch were really good he hit like just over 40 percent of his catch and shoot threes so uh depending on how you want to look at him a little bit it's like okay if you want him to be that offensive initiator it's like maybe you want him to be a better shooter um off the dribble um, or you could say like okay if nothing else this is going to be someone who gets work done in the high post and, and low post uh, and then he can become a catch and shoot guy well it's like well if that's the situation he's going to be really good as a catch and shoot player it's just kind of again it's if you're drafting him to be the number one option those catch and shoot numbers might not be as relevant but the fact that he has shown really good catch and shoot numbers um, not great but you know kind of adequate off the dribble numbers um, for a player of that age it's just The other thing too, like to be honest with you, it's just like you look at recent drafts, there's like not a lot of like high pedigree, high drafted players that like figured everything out but the three-point shot. I I just feel like coaching is so good and player development is so good. Like shooting is one thing these days that I just feel like you can get any player to be like an adequate three-point shooter or a really good one. I mean, that was one of the things that I was down on Franz Wagner for is I didn't think he could shoot the ball very well. Look what he did like right away in the NBA. And that, you know, that was a pretty common. So I, I just, I would not be awfully concerned about his three-point shot. 
we did hear the same thing about Alfred Payton. That never really <laughs> came to hey, there you go. came to fruition. So Magic fans, especially, are traumatized hearing you say that. But uh, but what do you think the the likeliness is that Paolo reaches the offensive ceiling? Because, like you said, in order to make up for some of the defensive shortcomings, he most likely will have to reach that offensive ceiling. I mean, I've got him second. Um, ahead of a player I really like in Chet. So I've got to say that I'm pretty confident that what I what I see is going to translate. And it's almost one of those things where because his game isn't like crazy high athleticism, it's not like bombing threes from, from off step backs. It's like, I, I just feel like what he does in, in college and what he's shown is, is, is going to translate. I think the touch and basketball IQ and passing ability, I just, I see it all translating. So I, I, I'm pretty confident in, in him hitting, like, I guess I shouldn't say like pretty confident he's going to hit his like 100% ceiling. Cause then I would have him number one. Um, but, uh, I, I think there's a pretty high, I would say I'm fairly sure he becomes a, you know, a fairly top tier offensive player. And that's why I have him at two. So what separates him, you know, number two, you know, and, and Chet number three, what do you think separates the two of them? Um, to me, it's just the, the, the certainty I have about the translating of Paolo's game. Um, the fact that you could plop him in, like, you know, game one and I'm like, okay, I, I, he understands, he plays right in the style of offensive basketball that the NBA is right now. NBA ready body. Um, you could, the fact that you can play him as a primary guy initiating and using that passing versus, or you have him off the ball and he can be a catch and shoot 40% three point shooter and, and play off that. Um, versus again, I'm just like, like, let's, let's say, let's say, you know, Chet is drafted and let's say the magic play, you know, they the NBA season opens in two weeks, um, which isn't obviously the case. I, I, I like, like if they draft, if they draft Chet, you guys are going to be like, okay. So how are we going to use Chet? And it's going to be quite a podcast discussion for you guys as you try to say, how does he fit in with, with what the Magic already have? And how does he fit into the constructs of modern NBA basketball? Um, and that's just still a little bit of my concern versus like Paolo. I don't really have any concerns with how he'd fit with the Magic or really any other programs. I, I feel like he's, any team he goes to, he's, he's going to be a fit. So we've talked about three. We've talked about two. And and Eric, hearing you talk I about like each, where this is each, going. hearing about each one of these prospects, um, you know, going from three to two, I you you gave a little bit more excitement to me, with, you know, as we're going up the ladder here. So I please tell me it's Jabari Smith Jr. that is <laughs> <Please> number one. <laughs> yeah, please. Yes, uh, it is definitely Jabari Smith for me. Um, that is a player that I've been very excited about, and uh, I, you know, I do just it's 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 one thing that kind of sucks, and I'm sure you guys are finding this as well. Uh, when you've got a draft with three players that could go number one, is like whenever you're propping up one player, it sometimes feels like you have to like bring other players down to make it happen, which is is tough because I I, I want to be very clear that I like all these three players, and I don't think. As much as I had Chet three, I don't think that would be a bad pick at all. And I think you guys should be ecstatic if that's what happens. And you guys are at Harry Buffalo or Amway or whatever celebrating. Um, but uh, yeah, to me, it's to me, it's Jabari Smith. And it is his, uh, I, I think the biggest thing, I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't know if this has been talked about enough, in my opinion. Maybe some of the other really good guests you guys have had on have talked about this. But I just haven't really seen this in the way that Jabari Smith has been talked about is like, 
you've got to look at the similar players in that archetype and what they looked like at that level. So if you're looking at like, who are these like really talented scoring power forwards, shot makers, like you look at the Brandon Ingrams, you look at the Jason Tatums, you look at like the whatever, Chris Middleton's Tobias Harris, even Jeremy Grant a little bit. And you look at like where they were in their first year of college or what they were their year before entering the NBA. And then you look at Jabari Smith. It's like Jabari Smith is ahead of these guys in a lot of ways. Um, and again, I think that of course the common refrain for a lot of guys is like, Oh, we don't know if Jabari Smith can create his own shot. I loved, I will go into that in a little bit, but which I, one, I don't think that's true and I'll talk about it, but it's also like looking at the Jason Tatums and the Brandon Minghams of the world. These are guys that like, like if people thought like people should go back and look at them in college. And if they think those guys were like taking 17 dribbles to get to a step back, that wasn't the case. They were guys that were largely stationary shooters that if they saw, if you saw what they did and you put Jabari Smith in his like mid post step backs, you would say like, wow, Jabari Smith was a lot more advanced than these guys that you are hoping the guy you take at number one kind of turns into. So uh, I'm a huge fan of that. I think that the defensive switchability, um, the rim protection, the fact that you could play him at the four or five, in my opinion, I think he's going to be like, you look at his size and he's the size of a lot of centers that close out NBA games. You look at the playoffs, he's the size of a lot of guys closing out games. So you could play him at five and have a massive skill advantage of that position, a massive ability to, uh, to, to guard and, and, and switch out and, and, be quicker. Like uh, I think he's going to be a huge plus player on that end. But um, to me, make no mistake about it. I I think he's going to score. I think the conversation about him being no more than like a three and D player is, is uh, I I just, I just disagree with it quite frankly. And the the biggest thing, and I don't know if you guys have kind of done this or, or heard anything about this, but like, looking at yeah looking at like the Brandon Ingrams and the Jason Tatums and like the the scoring kind of four or five men primary initiator guys like I, I I look at what those guys were in college and then I look at where where Jabari is and it's like man Jabari and his silky smooth stroke and his explosive first step uh man I I, I see a star there so um I think he's number one for me and I think he's going to be much more than a catch and shoot player so I can tell you what I'm going to do tonight is go watch Brandon Ingram and Jason Tatum highlights at Duke. And I think we're done here. Like I think we're, I heard everything I need to hear about Jabari Smith Jr. Um, I got scared off of the train this morning. I am now back on the Jabari Smith Jr. train at number one. Um, you know, I value your insight a ton, Eric. So hearing you say that, I'm giddy right now. Like, I, I, like Draft Jabari Smith Jr. right now. Get him in pinstripes. Nah. Ooh, did that change your opinion whatsoever? Uh, Eric is is very knowledgeable, right? And Eric is going to take an angle that a lot of people don't take. And and like he said, I do think it is not talked about enough because I, I haven't heard it. And we have the number mm. one pick. You know, when you talk about the, you know, kind of comparing him to the Jason Tatums of the world, which, by the way, they shot the same amount from the field. They both shot about 12 and a half attempts from the field. I just looked it up. Um, Tatum shot less from three a game shot a lower percentage uh from three tatum had a you know had averaged more turnovers than assists in college jabari has you know did not do that it's close but he did not do that but there are i can definitely see like at least the statistical similarities between the two players um but there is one glaring thing that jonathan and i have talked about and i kind of want to know your take on it which is a lot of people are concerned with Jabari's able ability to finish at the rim. Do you, ha- I mean, I'm sure you've seen the numbers. Do you feel like 
there's truth to that? And do you think that like, what needs to be done for him to actually excel at the rim? Because that's also obviously a big part of the NBA game in general, especially at his size. Yeah, definitely. His his numbers at the rim are I like again, I think some people look at his like like the number I've seen people throwing around on Twitter is like the lowest like he'd have like the lowest two point field goal percentage of like any first overall pick for like however many years. Um, which like I guess is true. If you actually go and like on synergy and look at his just finishing around the rim numbers, um they're a little bit below average, which is not great. I, I and I don't love that and, and looking at uh the way he finished, I think the big thing for him was like too many finger rolls, too much trying to use extension and too much of his length. I also think he went to like floaters a little bit too much where it's like for someone like him, I'd like to see him get two hands on the basketball, take a strong jump into the defender, take contact, get an and one. I, I just felt like him. It was a little bit, a little bit finesse there. So I, 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 I do get those. And that that's a, that's a legitimate concern. Um, is that going to be the thing that keeps like an athletic, you know, six foot 10 guy from, from reaching his ceiling? Um, maybe, maybe not. I, I, I don't see it as a huge concern. I, I think again, for a lot of people who think he's just like a glorified three and D option, he got to the rim a whole lot more than those style of players. And just the fact that he had so many attempts at the rim and unfortunately you'd love to see him get, you know, finish more, but he was able to get to the rim a lot more than people think. And, uh, that's a positive to me, but, um, yeah, if there's, there's a hole that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely finishing at the rim, but I don't think it's quite as, as, uh, as dire as a lot of people think, especially playing in the sec where it's loaded with NBA talent and, and athletes and, and, and physicality. Eric, you're a very uh, persuasive conversationalist, I must say. <laughs> I've really the, the thinking that I've been having the last couple of weeks is if you are drafting Jabari at number one, it is because you 100% believe in his ability to develop as a shot creator and a playmaker. It sounds like you are sold that he can do that or else you would not have him ranked number one. Yeah, that's why I wanted to be sure to lead with the fact that I think he's going to be a primary option. And this is not a situation where I think that he's just like the safe pick. So this is something I kind of alluded to. I, I, I wanted to kind of bring this up. This is another thing that I don't know if I've heard anyone else say. And uh, we'll, we'll see if it's new to you guys or if this is information that you've heard before. But um, again, the, the, I, I, I want to be careful again. I, I don't want to say these numbers to just like bring down Chet. I love Chet. But I'm going to use this as a comparison because I feel like a lot of people are are saying that like, okay, Chet's going to be the guy that can like be the quarterback and start things. And, you know, Jabari Smith's the guy who's like a glorified Danny Green who's just going to be 3 and D. So talking about like who is a primary initiator and who's not. So Chet last year, he had a grand total. Um, oh, I... So in, in isolation possessions, including possessions when he passed out last year at Gonzaga, there was a grand total of 15 possessions. That is the only isolation possessions that he got. When you look at Jabari Smith, it was 84. So that starts to show the picture of who was the guy who was a role player off the ball and who was the primary initiator. You look at shots off the dribble. So jump shots off the dribble. Jabari Smith, the guy that a lot of people are like, oh, he's just a catch and shoot guy. He had 105. Chet Holmgren had 12. So there's some numbers like this that like when people start talking about like, oh, I don't, you know, I just don't know if Jabari Smith's going to be able to, uh, to initiate offense. I don't know if he can create a shot. It's like he was used in isolation like six times more than Chet Holmgren was while having, you know, similar numbers and jump shots off the dribble. Like here's this guy that people are like, oh, can he create a shot? Like, he had a ton of shots off the dribble. He was getting to his step back. He was like, I, I, so again, a lot of this narrative about like, 
him not being able to create a shot. I just, I don't really see where it's coming from. And you saw a little bit of those graphics. There was like a graphic that was also circulating that was like, oh, he had like 90 whatever field goals made and he did it on like a hundred dribbles or whatever it was. And it's just so funny to me. Like it wasn't, it wasn't jump shots taken or it wasn't possessions in this many dribbles. It was like field goals made. And it was like the fact that he's able to get like him creating space with his jump shot is again, not like dribbling a guy down like Luca. It's him catching jab, stepping, taking one dribble to its step back. Like, like to me, it's like, it was just funny that people are using it as like a negative towards him when it's like, what you're saying is he can create shots efficiently without having to dribble the arrow to the basketball. So, so anyways, those are just some, again, I'm not trying to totally take away from Chet, but I don't know. What's your guys' responses to those numbers that like Chet was hardly used in, in isolation, hardly took jumpers off the dribble. And he's the guy that's supposed to be like, Oh, he's the guy who's shown he's the primary option. And Jabari Smith has like infinitely more shots off the dribble, infinitely more isolations. What's kind of, have you heard that? Or is that uh, something new to you guys? New to me. <laughs> I'm surprised to to hear that. Honestly, I, I don't think I'm totally surprised about uh, the number that Chet had just because of so many people have talked about Gonzaga's style of offense. I am concerned that Jabari's was that much more than Chet's, though. Yeah, I think that that's that's a, a huge thing, right? Because, and I think this also goes to show like how quickly um, you know people on social media can just propel a narrative, right? I mean. All we have heard about Jabari is like, you know, him being, you know, maybe a role player, a, a glorified three and D, like Eric said. We see it all the time. I know Jonathan and I see it pretty much every day from every Twitter account. It's like, it, it just seems like anybody that's like anti Jabari, it's solely because they think he's going to be a three D player, right? And I, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to people that get paid way more than me and Jonathan to make these decisions have Jabari in the top two mm. conversation. Let's be honest. He's not in the top three conversation. Um, and, and I think that they just bring more to the table yourself, Eric, obviously bringing facts to the table instead of people just saying, Oh, you're telling me he can't create off the dribble or he can never be a, a you know, a star on a team. Okay. I'll take you at your word. So I, I think it I think it's imperative that people really listen to that information that you're giving so that like the narrative can change a little bit so that people aren't just completely, you know, I guess like flabbergasted for lack of a better term. I don't think I've ever used that word before in my life. Um, and when when Jabari gets picked number one overall, I think that like it's it's imperative for people like you know Eric to introduce that with with backed evidence as opposed to just saying. He couldn't be a number one option. He can't create off the dribble. So I think that I'm definitely surprised by it. It makes me feel a lot better about Jabari because I really think that that was something that like I definitely was taking people at their word, I think, for. Obviously, you see the highlights, right? And a lot of Jabari highlights are those like one dribble step backs and jab step, shoot the ball to, when he creates space off the jab step. You don't see a lot of him at the rim, whatever. But the truth of the matter is as well, the proof is there. I looked it up. Jabari shot the most free throws a game out of Chet and Paolo and himself. So clearly, like, he was at the rim. He was getting there and getting fouled as well, shooting almost five attempts a game or something like that and shooting a respectable percentage from the free throw line as well. So I think that really you have removed a lot of doubt for me about Jabari. Um, and it's not just, like, a feeling. Like, it's because they were backed by things that are actually factual. Yeah, Jabari's also done a good job of, like, for a young kid at like mastering like the rip through foul, you know, that we see Chris Paul and like James Harden attempt 
So the the fact that he's able to generate those free throw attempts is a big deal. Eric, the last question that we wanted to ask you before we let you go here, how do you see Jabari Smith? Because the Magic are taking him number one now. I'm I'm convinced of that. <laughs> how do you see him fitting into the Magic, you know, team? Not just the offense, but you know, the defensive side of the floor as well. Uh, well, first of all, I, I, I've seen on Twitter you guys putting out the polls, and I think you guys might be influencing the betting markets because uh, the odds seem to really uh, really be similar to the, to I the breakdown. I tried to tell Luke that. <laughs> to the breakdown of your listeners. So obviously you have very intelligent listeners, or uh, uh, you know the, the betting markets are taking notice because it seems to be pretty similar. But um, you know, a player that I was really high on coming out of the draft, and who knows if he'll ever be uh, – uh, or what he'll ever be, but you know, I, I really like Jonathan Isaac, and I thought he had a little bit of that shot creation, big time defender. I think Jabari Par, or Jabari Smith is a much you know better player um, than that, and a higher. And uh, of course, he's going to be healthy, but I think it's pretty easy to to put him in at that power forward spot. Um, or you know, you can even talk semantics a little bit with positions, but like a, a, a Wendell Carter uh, front court next to a Jabari, like that's that's two complementary skill sets, I think. And I think about again the way that Wendell Carter kind of showed his ability um, as a passer, and and then you look at Franz Wagner as as well, someone who also showed ball handling ability. Like I, I think you look at that three to five, and you start looking up and down the Eastern Conference and looking at that that uh, that division. And it's like that's a that's a pretty uh, that's a like that three, four, five combinations got you're you're gonna like that matchup in in a whole lot of of these games. So um and uh, I, I I'm still kind of interested to see what uh, what the backcourt shakes up like, but I, I think it's pretty easy to say like okay we've got uh, we've got Wagner we've got Isaac or sorry Isaac <laughs> we've got Jabari and we've got Wendell Carter. Um first of all um we think we can probably be like a top eight defense. Um and also we think our offense just got you know a lot a lot better. And I can see a lot of those mid-post clearouts. Um, you know, you get Cole Anthony coming off a dribble handoff, coming off a pick and roll. Okay, nothing's there. Then the the first option is to throw it into like a high post kind of clearout um, for Jabari. Like I, it's 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 uh, it's an offense that you know watching the Magic over the last couple of years, I I think is going to uh, uh it's going to be a lot more aesthetically pleasing and a lot more dynamic. Well, you're saying a lot of things that I like to hear, so I really appreciate that, Eric. Once again, thank you for joining the show this time for the third time. Uh, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you and where they can find all of your draft coverage? Yeah, for sure. So uh, NBA Canada, I mean, if you're like speak Spanish, a lot of the NBA Spanish properties are Japanese and whatever you, whatever non-English languages you want. Um, or if you want English, you can go to NBA Canada. But uh, the Twitter is the best place to see what I do. That's at Eric Fawcett underscore and and guys thank you for having me on for for a third time i'm i'm excited for you i'm excited for the stuff you guys uh every time i come on the podcast it seems like uh it's been like a huge year of progression for you guys and uh man since the last time uh, i've been on you guys have done some some super cool stuff and uh i'm sure it's going to continue so this is cool i'm looking forward to to the fourth time i come on whether it's you know breaking down what the magic do with these second round picks or or whether it's next year when uh the magic are drafting like you know what tw- 20th 20 20 21st uh whatever you think they'll be drafting it next year 30th yeah <laughs> 30th sounds pretty good to me we'll see you yeah. know I try to be a realist, but, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it would be nice. That's yeah. all I'm saying. But, again, Eric, thank you so much for joining the show, man. Always a pleasure. That was our chat with Eric Fawcett about the upcoming draft. Luke, he is always just a great guest to have, always great insight and everything like that. Love having Eric on the show. Yeah, he's uh, always the one that I go to with random 
questions about the draft prospects leading up to it. Um, I'm sure, you know, he, he might, he probably gets uh, maybe a little irritated with me. I I'm always random prospects, just pulling them out of nowhere and making them, making them work if he doesn't already know. But most of the time, uh, if not every time he, he knows exactly who I'm talking about and can give me some insight on them, whoever, wherever they are, even like the undrafted prospects, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. My guess is that he probably just pulls it off the top of his head. Like, Oh, that guy. Yeah. I know everything about him. He played you know at this mm-hmm. college for this long in this conference. This mm-hmm. was a great game that he had. So mm-hmm. once again, thank you to Eric. I know it's always a big hit with our listeners. They always appreciate when he comes on. I feel like like our draft guests, this year have just been amazing like everybody is you know obviously everybody loves david Steele. like that was that episode was yes. a huge hit but um like having you know like keandre on having eric aaron goldstone on now having eric fawcett like we're just trying to knock it out of the park with these you know uh these draft gurus these experts and just get you guys as much insight as possible so again really appreciate eric joining the show once again, before we sign off here, guys, June 23rd is the night of the NBA draft. We will be at Harry Buffalo hanging out from 5 o'clock to 6.30, and then we will walk over to Amway Center for the official Orlando Magic draft party. If you have not got your tickets already, you can go download the Orlando Magic app, and in the app, you can get and secure your draft party tickets. Make sure that you guys do that. At the draft party, we're going to try to sit in section 106 so everyone can sit together but you will not be able to get in the door without that ticket so make sure again you download the app you go get your tickets it's going to be a great time and uh yeah i think uh yeah that's definitely when we'll find out who we're officially drafting <laughs> i was going to say i think that's when we'll find out but you think i know for a fact that is but uh yeah luke anything else before we sign off here no nah, man go magic we're in the month of june it's draft month baby Three weeks. Let's get it. For Luke Sylvia, this has been Jonathan Osborne. You guys are listening to the Six Man Show. We will catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Six Man Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. Please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It would really help us out a lot. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Six Man Show and like us on Facebook. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.